Welcome to Movie Time Capsule, where I tell my guests that the world is ending and they have 60 minutes to fill their capsule with the movies that impacted their life. My guest today is a writer for WatchMojo.com and film podcast co-host of the show Underrated. This episode was a lot of fun for me. Derek talks about what his parents did to his VHS movies when he was a kid. We'll get into what Wachowski's movie needs to be appreciated more, and I'll recall a Hollywood celebrity story of mine. One final note, there is um, some spoilers for the animated movie that we talk about, around 37 minutes. So if you haven't seen it, fast forward to about 39 minutes. I'm your host, Luke Cheney. Thanks for joining us. And hi, Mom. It is time to talk about movies. All your favorites, all your loved ones. We will hear them and we'll cheer them. It is time for Movie Time Capsule. Welcome to the show, writer and fellow podcaster, Derek McDuff. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. You are welcome. It's great to have a, a fellow movie podcaster. This is uh, always a, a good time. Uh, what have you seen recently uh, for movies? This last week, I saw The Green Knight, which was really good. David Lowry, um, you know, small spoiler, he's going to be on my list. So um, I do. I love The Green Knight. Um I watched on Netflix the Fear Street trilogy, which was interesting. Um, uh, just kind of if you're a fan of slashers, I would say Fear Street was really good. Um, and then, of course, I saw the Suicide Squad, which was re- really rad. <laughs> <laughs> How, what was it like being back in the theater? Was like was it a full audience or what was the vibe? It's it's still like yeah, the audiences aren't completely full yet. It's still pretty sparse. Um, when I saw The Green Knight, that theater was actually pretty full, but that's only because it was a much smaller theater and there weren't that many showings of that movie. And so that one was a little bit packed um, just because, you know, that was, you know, everybody was off seeing, you know, Space Jam or Cruella or like all the, you know, the big movies. Um, I made sure I saw a quiet, I should mention I saw a quiet place too. Like it was literally like days before it came out on DVD because the release window has gotten so small. But I saw it like, and then I didn't even realize I saw it in theaters. And then like two days later, it's like, now it's out on DVD. So I'm like, okay, glad I got in there and saw it in the theater. <laughs> that was actually the the first time I saw the the original, just Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of mad that I saw it in theaters because I just happened to get some kind of noisy patrons that were, <sighs> you know, just crinkling the bag too much or just too much popcorn chewing. Um, so I, I did the second one at home uh, and I was a little happier with that. Yeah, I got really lucky seeing the first one in a very quiet theater. Like I remember like actually thinking like I'm really glad I wasn't seeing this movie where people like cause it felt like everybody was on kind of just like respect respectful mode or nobody was like eating anything during any of the quiet parts, which were most of the movie. Um, and then, you know, I saw a quiet place, too. It was a pretty empty theater. Um, so I, I did luck out in that respect. Good, good. Happy to hear that. I think I also, for the first Quiet Place, I was probably next to like some, I don't know, Transformers movie because there was just <laughs> so much bass coming through the walls. I was like, oh no, this is just yeah. taking me out of it. <laughs> Anyways, so you have your own podcast that you co-host called Underrated. Um, I know you guys cover a lot of movies. You've been doing it for a couple of years. Yeah. What do you have coming up? So we are right now wrapping up our, for the summer, we were doing what we call the summer of sequels, where we talked about, you know, kind of underrated sequels, ones that we think, you know, don't get as much respect as the original, but really kind of deserve to. Um, So we just released an episode on Blade Runner 2049, which is one of my absolute favorite movies 
and just made like negative money at the box office. Um, and then oh, wow. next, the last one we're going to do is Back to the Future 3, which is a one I feel like nobody says Back to the Future 3 is their favorite Back to the Future movie, but it's it's so much fun. It's because it's just basically Back to the Future 1, but what in the Wild West. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that, I think, this year. And I, I think about like everybody else, like you don't like it as much as one or two for sure. Mm-hmm. But I remembered it being a lot worse. And this time around, it was so much better. I liked it. Um, the relationship between Marty and Doc is so much more evident and on the surface. And yeah, it was such a great time. I've kind of forgot about it. Yeah, no, it's it's a real solid, just kind of like genre film. They just swap the genres. <laughs> right, yeah. And so I also learned that you are a freelance writer for watchmojo.com. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So yeah, I do um, some freelance stuff. So I've been working uh, with watchmojo for... I don't know, five years now or something. So doing top 10 lists and stuff like that, because, you know, uh, obviously, you know, that's part of the reason I wanted to do the show is I love listing movies and doing stuff like that. So I always have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. What's what's been some of your, I guess, best received videos from Watch Mojo? Um, probably one of the best received ones is I got to write the top 10 graphic novels of all time. That was really oh. cool. Um, that's the one time that I've actually just like been out in the real world and like I was saying something that somebody was buying I, my day job was I work at a bookstore and somebody was buying just like a stack of graphic novels. I was like, Oh, I just wrote a thing about a bunch of these. And they were like, what? I'm buying these because I read, and I was like, it blew my mind. Whoa. Uh, so that was the one time it like bled over into my real life. <laughs> I just checked my phone. I got a weird alert from CNN. I'm not sure if you saw it as well, but it looks like there's penguins with rocket propelled grenades strapped to their backs. Oh man! They're invading cities. Have you are you seeing this? You know, I I thought I saw something about that. I thought I saw Danny DeVito was involved somehow, but I yeah okay. Yeah. That's that's really that's a that's a bummer. I know. I think it's probably best if you if you're ready, we can get together your your capsule choices and get your time capsule ready. All right, yeah. Let's let's grab some movies. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get hit with a rocket from a you know penguins. You can never you can't trust birds in general, but penguins especially. <laughs> All right, Derek, my first question for you is what's the first movie that you ever purchased with your own money? Cuz I'm trying I know I had I'm kind of like the generation that like switched between VHSs and DVDs when I was like I a teenager. Um so I'm I'm sure you're like roughly in that same time same. period. Yeah, there was one Christmas where I got Small Soldiers on DVD and VHS. So it was a, <laughs> it was a real bummer. I was like, "Oh, damn, I should have got Another movie on a DVD. Oh, man, that's funny. I think, though, I think it might have been Batman and Robin because I had mm. the whole Batman, the original, like, three on, like, a VHS, like, set that I remember I got for my birthday when I was around the time when Batman and Robin came out. And then the new one came out, finally, on VHS. I was like, okay, I got to get this for myself. It was either that one or it might have been Star Trek Five. Because for some reason, I really I saw that one on TV and I was like, I love Star Trek five, which is the one that nobody likes where William Shatner directed it. And he goes and yells at God. And <laughs> I don't know if you've seen <laughs> Star Trek five, but it is bananas. It is just very much just like William Shatner being like, you know, who's the coolest guy in the whole galaxy? Kirk. And it's just it's <laughs> really weird. But I remember really liking it when I was like six because it came. I think it was one of the last like original Star Trek movies to come out when they're all really old. Um, and you know, they hadn't started making the next generation movies yet, but I, I do think that one, um, 
was the first one I got actually because I remember being at a Costco and being like, I've oh. got to get this mom. And my mom would never let me watch movie, like would never let us buy movies or buy movies for us. We'd always have to record whatever was yes. on TV. And so Same. so I didn't for the, the longest time, uh, I didn't I had movie quotes wrong because they would like bleep out things that, you know, Jeff Goldblum <laughs> would say in Jurassic Park when Jeff Goldblum would say like, that's a big pile of shit. I heard of it's a big pile of crap. Or like the first ten minutes of the Princess Bride, I had no idea what uh, what it was because like when my mom it came on, my mom was like, "Oh, we need to record this." But by the time she actually got it in recording, it was like I just remember it just starting abruptly, just hearing Victoria yell, "The cliffs of insanity!" And that's where the, like <laughs> the first thirteen years of my life, the Princess Bride started. Oh my gosh! So much movie history just altered without even you knowing it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, you bringing up Batman uh, reminded me. I just watched the Val documentary last night about Val Kilmer. I haven't seen that yet. It's pretty good. It gets it's he's definitely a, a strange character, but he's also hmm. super lovable. But he talks about his time on Batman Forever. And he said that he just loved Batman as a kid and just said yes instantly. But then he got to set and he pretty much hated it because the suit is so tight and uncomfortable. You can't really move properly. People have to carry you around and you can't hear anything. So mm. pretty much you say your lines and then the director stopped talking to him. Like they didn't want his input anymore because, well, it was so hard to talk to him. Huh. Just hated the whole experience. I saw another documentary and it was about them making that Island of Dr. Moreau movie. Oh, yeah. From that, like Val Kilmer just seemed like us, like just psycho, just like, like he was like burning like the cast members with cigarettes and stuff like that. Apparently, oh did really? Not seem like a cool dude. Yeah. This documentary shows him in a completely different light, and like okay. it's from his perspective. You know, he's filming a lot of it himself, mm-hmm. um, and the director gets pissed at him because he was filming so much of the behind the scenes right up mm-hmm. until rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this? What's a movie that you think is underrated and needs to be seen by more people? So this is obviously one that I thought about a lot, you know, you know, that being the premise of my show. And so I had a lot of ones that I had thought about. um, But I think that I have to go with the very first movie that I covered on my show, which is Speed Racer. Speed Racer. That movie. It's it's just so, you know, the Wachowskis directed it. And it's just I think it's one of those movies that in the last maybe like five years or something, all these different think pieces have come up and like, wow, did we mess up? Is Speed Racer actually a masterpiece? Because it, it got killed at the box office. It has like a 30-something percent in Rotten Tomatoes. You know, everybody hates it. And I think it was because, you know, it's just this bright, colorful, cartoon-like world, but it's also about, like, the dangers of capitalism and just, like, it's got all this action, so it's kind of, like, not really sure if it's a kid's movie or if it's, a, like, a movie for adults and you know, I think people are expecting it to kind of be Transformers, which is kind of dark and just like very cynical. And mm. it's not. It's it's very, you know, uplifting and colorful. And it's like a cartoon come to life. It, it you know, is not a realistic movie at all. And I think that audiences at the time in, you know, 2009 um, just kind of were like, yeah, this isn't what we're looking for. And a lot of the Wachowski movies have been this kind of just like big ever since The Matrix. All their movies have been kind of these really big, weird movies. And I think this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I think the cast is great. I think that there's not, not a lot out really that does the same thing where it swings so far in the other direction away from realism um, other than animated stuff like into the spider verse kind of does the same thing. But as far as live action movies, 
nothing's like this. No. I think we all have moments in our life when we go see a movie and our friends just completely disagree. Either they love it and you hate it or you hate it and they love it. And you're just like, what are you talking about? Did we see the same movie? And for me, <laughs> I also love Speed Racer. And excellent. I just couldn't believe how many people just disliked the movie. And I was like, it's so much fun. Like, this is probably the coolest cars ever be on screen that can do so many things it's like mm. the macgyver of cars and <laughs> it's just fun and yeah i've never understood it but thank you i'm glad you you can helmet here <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad we're in agreement about speed racer that's one less person i have to convince <laughs> <laughs> yes we're we're on the same ship here okay <laughs> what movie would you show someone if they're having a bad day and you want to cheer them up uh, I think it's got to be The Princess Bride. Like, hell yeah. Who doesn't love to watch The Princess Bride? Like, how can you be in a bad m- mood and watch that movie? Because it is a classic. It's it's one of those movies that has kind of everything. It's got romance and comedy and action and just like all the actors are phenomenal in that. Uh, you know, Carrie Elwes, uh, Robin Wright, of course. Then, you, you know, got all the bit players, you know, like Christopher Geth, all these guys just really just. <laughs> Honestly, one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, I recently bought the Criterion version of it and watched like all the behind the scenes stuff. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's there's a reason why it stood the test of time. Despite kind of like not doing great at the box office, it has become this immense classic that really everybody likes. It's because, you know, some movies like I feel like people that are kind of like a little more like, you know, I don't know how to describe. I guess just not like kind of a more jaded about movies. People like. Like, oh, you know, only like watch, you know, stuff by Lars Van Trier or whatever. I don't want to watch, you know, a big blockbuster. And then there's people who are like, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to watch any of that. But but both those groups, whether you like, you know, are a movie buff or just kind of will just watch the new Space Jam movie, like whatever, like everybody will still love that movie. You know, that's why it's something that's on the Criterion, but still everybody has seen. And I don't think there's um, there's very few movies in the Criterion collection that are as popular as this because it is just so wide spreading to just everyone that will just give them joy you know yeah you you make an amazing point that everyone loves it and honestly thinking back on the 18 episodes we've done here it is the most talked about movie (laughs) i mean it bring almost everyone brings it up at least one point in the conversation because it's just it's freaking timeless and it's so enjoyable like you said it's got so much from the romance to the action to the comedy to the physical comedy too like it's not just the lines it's also all the physicality it's Mm. it's it's an amazing one yeah yeah i mean it's something i can go back to (laughs) quite a bit you know whenever i'm having a bad day so many great lines and speaking of is there a movie that you quote most in your your day-to-day life oh yeah so this is one i i thought about because there's a lot of movies that i quote a lot um i was actually just talking to a friend the other day and i I don't remember what I, i quoted but i said something to him and, he, and I was like, oh, it's from this movie. And he's just like, half the time I'm talking to you, I don't know if it's from you or some movie. <laughs> but the one that I think I go back to the well the most is Super Bad, Because, I mean, that yes. movie, so many high school movies don't really capture the way that people that age talk. Or just people in general. Like, as much as I love a movie like Easy A, like, people don't talk like that. People are, you know, like, especially high schoolers, they kind of, you, you have this, you, you know, very, you know, vulgar you spice in all the you know there's a lot of cuss words there's you know it's and it feels also very naturalistic because it's so improvised it's kind of like feels natural doesn't feel like they're saying a line that's written in script they're just coming up with it on the spot 
you know, so I'll, I'll say lines from Superbad, you know, all the, I used to get in a debate with uh, this girl I was dating about what is a more quotable movie that Superbad or Mean Girls. And I would always come down on the side of Superbad. But like, it could be anything, you know, like, <laughs> there's a reason that it like, when people say like FNL, like, you know, that's came from Superbad. Like, that's direct, like the first time anyone said fuck my life, like in like, wide context <laughs> wasn't Superbad. Oh. One that I like to, you know, do a lot if I had to sp- pick one line from the movie, which is hard, but uh it's the one he's just like, it's like, it's not a big deal. Something like 8% of kids do it. Like, that's just kind of like whenever I get embarrassed <laughs> about something, that's, that's the one I'll say. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Superbad is just an endlessly quotable movie for me. I have found a way to quote that movie in every situation, including many situations I probably shouldn't be quoting movies, but it's, it's <laughs> still worked for me. Yeah, there's something so, like, for my age... Like that was my high school experience, like almost verbatim, like, you know, just you were super nerdy trying to get girls and mm-hmm. that's the way we talk. And somehow this movie encapsulated it. Um, mm-hmm. But my favorite quote that I say still a lot doesn't come from the main characters. It comes from just a side character. And it's usually when I'm at the grocery store with my wife and we're, we split up to get the groceries and I go to her, I'm like, would you like me to buy you alcohol? <laughs> That would be lovely. Cha-ching. Here's $80. Yes, here's an 80. Oh, I think that's also, that would compete with Happy Gilmore, but probably the move that I've watched the most is between those two. Yeah, it's probably between that, The Princess Bride, and maybe one other one that I'll, that's going to be on my list that I'll save for later. Like, it's, it's definitely three, those three are, like, I, if I had to tabulate it, like, I watch those movies all the time. Amazing. All right. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, let's see. What's the movie that blew your mind the most when you watched it? Uh, probably Amadeus. That movie, it's it's so just big and bold. And it's, you know, for anybody who is doesn't are familiar with it, it is just kind of a biopic about Mozart, but it isn't like most music biopics. It's actually just very unique and interesting in your and you're very, you kind of, it's about this rivalry between him and Scaleri and just the, the acting in it is great. And it's just, it's so, it's like an epic. Like it feels like you're watching like Ben-Hur or like Lord of the Rings or something, but it's just kind of like, and it has all these huge pe- period pieces, like costumes and everything, but it's just kind of about these people's lives. There's no like wars or anything going on. You know, it's not like, you know, life and death, except for, you know, it does, you know, kind of the framing story is it's about how Mozart died. And so it's kind of like you got mystery, but there's, it just so big, like there's so much movie in that movie. And there's a reason it just like took home like every Academy award that year. Like it just cleaned house. Like I can't remember how many won, but it was a lot. Like, I think it got actor pick best picture, a supporting actor, actress, like uh, just screenplay i think adapted screenplay i think because it was based on the play but yeah yeah like i said there's just a lot of movie and it's three hours and it's still you don't feel its length at all like you're just like wow that's it it's, i want some more really i have never seen it so i mean you make it yeah. sound you make it sound quite amazing were you into classical music before that or is it just kind of just random yeah just kind of random like i mean i like classical music you know i'll but i'm not it's not something i'm gonna go necessarily put on you know, like it's mm-hmm. it's like, OK, yeah, this is this is cool. But I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between like Bach or or Mozart or like what, you know, I don't know anything sure. about musical notes <laughs> or anything like that, um, you know. But yeah, uh, so it's it wasn't really necessarily up my alley, but 
I, I don't remember what made me watch it, but years ago I was just like, yeah, let me just check out this Amadeus movie. I think I had a free night and just it just floored me. Well, shit, I'm going to have to put that on my list because like every once in a while I'll go through the Oscar list of best picture winners and then I'm thinking like, huh, Amadeus, just, like, it never gets to the top of my list whenever I choose one of those. But uh, Derek, for you, I'll, I'll put it up there. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's go back to your childhood. And mm-hmm. um, is there a movie that when you were watching it, you thought to yourself, I am not old enough to be watching this? So my mom was very, very protective and would not let me watch anything like she thought was like bad at all. Like I remember when I had to when I watched Face Off, like my dad tried to record all the like cuss words out of it. Like he recorded oh. it on VHS and tried and it was wow. really like he did not know what he was doing. So it was like a bad edit. So just like five minutes of the movie would be gone anytime anyone would say an F word or something. Um, so they were very protective of me. You know, I remember like them like not wanting me to see Titanic because there was boobs in it and stuff. Um, <laughs> so when I did see, you know, movies, I was like, I deserve to see. I was like, no, I'm I'm old enough to see these. How dare you not show me these? But I do remember I was flipping channels one day. I don't know how this was on TV, but I was pretty young. And it's only recently that I went back and figured out what movie this actually was because it was just vague memories in my mind. But there was this movie called The Gate, which is this kind of like B horror movie from the I think it's like the mid or the late 80s. And it's just, you know, it's about these kids that are stuck in the parents are gone. And they're in this house and the house is basically like little demons come out and because a hole in the ground and the house kind of becomes possessed and the house is like eating them and stuff. And it just really just scared me. I was maybe like three or four because my mom didn't know I was watching it. If she would have known, she would have been like, this is too scary. Turn the channel. But she was. But for me, I was like, I'm not old enough to be watching this very scary movie about. But I was like, also like, oh, I'm not old enough. I'm having fun that I'm watching it. I'm going to have nightmares but like about a house eating me, but I am very excited to watch this. (laughs) It sounds like your parents were super protective. Did they like always pre-watch pretty much everything that you watched beforehand? I think that they tried to. Like I remember when The Matrix came out, they had to pre-watch that um, before I was allowed to watch it. Um, But yeah, they were kind of, it was very much like, and I was also the oldest, so I was kind of the one who got it, you know, roughest i had to kind of break them down so then my brothers would you know be able to do more stuff by the time they were my age but i so i was the first through the gate yeah yeah i get that it's one of those movies i'm like should i go back and rewatch it because i feel like it might ruin it you know like i'm like this because i would watch it now and you know like this isn't scary but like in my memory it was the most frightening thing i've ever seen because i don't really get scared too often by movies but that one being a little kid like it lives in my memory of just like the scariest movie ever All right, well, that will perfectly segue into the next question, which is, what's the movie that scared you more than any other? I think that would have to be, and this is a little weird one, um, but Signs. Because, like I said, I'm not really scared by movies too often. Like, jump scares don't really get me. As a kid, I never really, as a kid and a teenager, I wasn't really a big fan of horror films because I was, was kind of always like really bored by them, so, especially slashers. I was just like, okay, it's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But Signs, it was more of like a psychological just kind of like where it was just like you would just see a foot of an alien. Just like, did you see that? Yeah. Like, did you go over there? Are you looking at it? like? And I remember I watched it in like the least scary setting possible. It was like in a high school classroom in like a brightly lit room. But that I feel like even kind of just contributed because I'm not in like a dark movie theater. Where I'm afraid of things are jumping out at me. I'm just, or it's just like the, one of the scariest scenes is when 
Joaquin Phoenix is watching that footage of somewhere in South America yeah. and he's just like yelling. You're just like, you know it's coming. That's what's scary. It's not when something jumps out and scares you, but when they're like, hey, this is here. It's going to come. And it's not like they're scary looking aliens or anything. It's not like they're from, you know, a quiet place aliens. They're, but it's just like, it just it's this thing. And it's it's almost like real because you're like, you could believe it. An alien might look like that. It might just show up. And it just, it just gave me kind of the heebie-jeebies. You know, I was never like jump scared or like frightened or anything, but I was so anxious the whole time. And yeah. I, that's my favorite kind of scary movie is one that can just give you this feeling of anxiety and dread. Yeah. That scene where he's in the closet watching the TV footage from a little kid's birthday party. Like mm-hmm. I get goosebumps talking about it because it's such a well done scene of tension and suspense and uh, walking Phoenix's reaction is just so terrified. He's like, <laughs> like jumping out of his chair yeah. while you're like jumping out of your chair. It's mm-hmm. so amazing. That movie is one of the reasons why in my Shyamalan for me has a, like a lifetime pass as to why I'll see everything he's done. Although mm-hmm. I'm hearing that old is getting terrible, terrible reviews. Have you yeah, it's, heard it's, that? I, I've heard. Yeah. Not great things about it. I feel like he kind of like, he made some real bad movies there and then he kind of came back with, um, you know, uh, what's the, the ones that led in the glass. Split? Split, thank you. Yeah, Split was yeah. was really solid. And he made a couple like okay, like he's he's kind of coming back, mm-hmm. and then it just like it's like okay, you, you never really know if you're gonna get the Shyamalan who did you know Unbreakable and Signs and The Sixth Sense, or the Shyamalan that did like The Last Airbender and like yeah. uh, After Earth and um the, what was uh the the happening, the happening, right, right. He's a very hit or miss, but his hits are hits. His hits are really hits. I think he does really understand suspense in a very Hitchcockian kind of way. I think he's the closest thing that I can think of to Hitchcock as far as suspense. Yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. I have a I have a story that I'll tell you that I won't put on the air. But um, in 2009, I just moved to L.A. and I was at a friend's birthday party. And he's been around L.A. for a while. So like there was a lot of film nerds there because he was a film nerd. And this was at the point where everyone was kind of like a lot of people would just bag on Emmett Shyamalan because he was, you know, pretty much he had gone into the dumps after the happening. Mm-hmm. And so me and this guy were talking about M. Night Shyamalan and I was kind of trying to change the conversation to not diss him and bag him. I wanted to move on to something a little more positive. Mm-hmm. As that's happening, this guy comes in from behind me. He kind of like wants to get into the conversation. He's like, oh, what are you guys talking about? M. Night Shyamalan? I'm like, yeah, we're talking about M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> and I kind of like, I kind of like give him the shoulder so he can't like get into the conversation. Yeah. And someone else joined in like as he joined in and it kind of became a big conversation just about movies, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And like 10 minutes later, like the whole room was full of people were were in the kitchen and I realized I can like recognize the guy's face that I shouldered out. And I'm like, I know this guy. Who the fuck is this guy? And I'm like, is he an actor? No, he's not an actor. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Brian Singer. I totally just gave the cold shoulder to Brian Singer. Oh, man. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. And then, like, the rest of the night, like, the whole party kind of realized that it was him and just wanted mm-hmm. to be in the kitchen, and it was just packed. And it was, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. That, I was like, wow, this is my first year in Hollywood. This is amazing. I'm just going to be around directors all the time. <laughs> Of course, it was never like that ever again. <laughs> well, let's go right into the Goosebumps. Since we were talking about Goosebumps, what, what's a movie that gives you Goosebumps every time you watch it? So, yeah, another movie that is, you know, just one that is just anxiety fuel for me is Midsummer. 
that movie. Uh, yeah. It just, yeah, it's, it's just definitely will just give me just goosebumps. Just I'm always kind of on edge because you're always it's once again where you're a movie, where a horror movie, like a psychological horror movie where you just kind of see everything and you feel every emotion and you're just kind of like, just go, just get out of this place. You're just like, please leave. <laughs> just like stop. And it's also especially horrifying because it's real. It's like, yeah, I'm not afraid of like undead monsters or like a witch or anything like that. Sure. But like cults, like crazy people, like people who will murder you, like that's a real thing. Like, like that is something that actually exists in the world. And they're out there. Yeah. Like everything in Midsummer could completely happen. It's, it's, uh, it's also, you know, just like the relationship between the two main characters of this kind of dissolving thing and mm-hmm. you're experiencing the like kind of like anxiety of them going to a breakup while being in this super stressful place while people are dying and everything just adds and adds and adds to that um i think yeah ari oster is just incredible in that movie like or works that movie incredibly i should say yeah one of my all-time favorite horror films that never fails to just kind of give me the willies yeah, that that movie's got the the burn-in factor for me, like where where you see an image that's so grotesque or mind-boggling, and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe this exists on film. Like even the first, I think five minutes with the um, what they do to the parents in the very beginning, I was just like, <sighs> oh my god, that is yeah. who comes up with this? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I saw that one before I saw Hereditary. I, I did Hered- too. Hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's he? Uh, what's he got coming up next? Do we know? I, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Okay. Is there a character in a movie that you relate to, that you kind of see yourself in? If you had asked me this, maybe when I was in high school, I probably would have said Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I think I've grown out of that uh, for sure, because um, I have the same kind of humor and like self-deprecation and stuff. Um, uh-huh. But uh, I think that one that has really resonated with me recently. And this is going to sound weird because I'm just kind of like a skinny kid with glasses. Um, but I related a lot to Thor, um, especially in Infinity War and especially in Endgame when he's kind of like, like have, he's going through that kind of like that all that hardship. And he's kind of, cause like I, when I, in 2020, you know, obviously everybody had a rough 2020. Uh, I definitely had a really rough 2020. Um, I went through like a really bad breakup before like coronavirus broke out and everything. And so I was just kind of like stuck at home. And during that time, I kind of like rewatched Endgame. And it was just like seeing Thor, you know, who's this kind of jovial, funny guy kind of dealing with he's had so much that he's gone through, you know, like with his parents and his sister and then, you know, his breakup with Natalie Portman and just kind of like, you know, and then he feels responsible and just like kind of like the world has changed and everything. And like, so I relate, like there was so much, I just kind of like emotionally related to him. And there's that scene when he go, and I also had put on some weight and like was trying and, you know, have since like got, you know, started exercise and lost it. But like, I also like that kind of aspect I related to a little bit, <laughs> but uh, there was that scene when he goes back to Thor, the dark world, which is by the way, super underrated movie. And I love, but um, <laughs> and he, and he holds out his hand for the hammer and he's not sure it's going to come back. But when he does, right. when it does, and he grabs it, and he just has this moment where, and Hemsworth has such a great performance in this scene, like throughout the whole movie, but especially this scene, and he just 
like is on the verge of tears but happiness and he's just like he says i'm still worthy i had to like pause yeah. the movie because i was like getting very emotional i was like oh my god i'm still worthy too like ah like <laughs> it just it really just hit me and it just kind of made me like okay like i can get through this like year that has just been so rough and like i've gone through these things but i can still come out the other side and i feel like i really did just like thor did so it was a very personal thing for me from rewatching endgame Wow, that's a great story. And you're right, uh, Chris, I mean, besides being amazingly handsome and and just jacked, he the way that he acts with his eyes, mm-hmm. it's, it's very under the radar, but you get so much from it. Like you're not really realizing that he is telling you so many things with his eyes, but like just in that one yeah. scene where he catches the hammer, uh, yeah, he's really he's really magical with his eyes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, he was kind of like talking about like, well, I do like the first two Thor movies. He was kind of saying he was always felt kind of underutilized, which I agree with. And then, you know, mm-hmm. you have, when you have him in uh, Avengers three and four, and then also, especially Thor Ragnarok, when he really gets a chance to show off all his acting chops and be really funny, but also have really like all the stuff, the scenes with like Loki, like in Thor Ragnarok, like he really kills it. Like he just proves that he is an incredible actor. I can't wait to see what he does beyond the uh, the MCU. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still uh, mad that they're not bringing him back for Star Trek Four like they said they were going to, because oh really? Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if you heard like because remember he played uh, Kirk's dad in the yeah. first one, so I think they were going to do some time travel stuff, um, which they haven't done in this, the new. You know, not I mean they've done a little bit in the first one, but not with the main cast. Have some right. and and they were you know in negotiations to have Chris Hemsworth come back and that would have been so cool so maybe they will still get it done but I don't know that that would be awesome yeah they probably can't afford him I mean yeah. it's most people for me that was the first time I ever was introduced to him was in Star Trek 2009 mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if people would get the payoff enough from to bring him back yeah that that was the thing is like he him and both Chris Pine you know dropped out because. Uh, you know, they were not going to get paid enough pretty much after Star Trek three underperformed a bit at the box office. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's a shame. That opening scene of Star Trek, as it comes to scenes that I've watched over and over and over, it's at the top, like that opening, I don't know, eight minutes. It's like the up of action movies. Like there's so much going on. There's action, there's character it. development. And then you have the uh, the birth and the death. That's just like fuck. That's how you set up a movie. And it sets up the premise. It like tells you all you need about the know about the world and like the villains are introduced and just yeah mm-hmm. no it, it's that yeah that's a really great way to put it. It is doing so much. That script like especially in the beginning is just like really just tight and great. Yeah, love me some J.J. Abrams. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, Derek, I don't know if you have kids or if you're planning on having kids or if you have like nieces and nephews, but is there a movie that's close to your heart that you one day want to sit down some youngsters and, and present them a movie that's special to you? Yeah, no, no kids. Um, and, uh, not necessarily any plans to, but you know, they've, I've definitely got a lot of, uh, you know, younger nieces or younger cousins and stuff like that. And, you know, I am uh, kind of an uncle to a couple of my friends, kids, uh, and stuff. So if there, you know, was a movie that I was going to show anybody in that kind of generation, it would probably have to be How to Train Your Dragon. Um, yeah. Especially if I was, you know, actually it was with my own kids because Stoic and Hiccup have such like that father son dynamic is just so interesting um, across both the first two films, um, I think is really just iconic. Um, but yeah, especially that first one. It's it's so it's a perfect kids film and it just. The way that it just, it really just tears the emotion out of you, just like rips your heart out and just kind of makes you 
like kind of just be like, wow, like I, I want a dragon, but it's like, <laughs> you, you, I don't know. It's, it's hard to like even put into words just how the feelings you get from just the pure joy and just kind of like, you know, it's, it's got excitement, but it's like, you know, not too crazy. It's a good excitement for a kid. So I think mm-hmm. it, and it's one of those kind of kids, it is a kid's movie, but it's a kid's movie that perfectly works for an adult. And I think it would be great to kind of like have a, you know, a bonding experience. That would be a great bonding experience between, you know, like me and a kid or something. I'd say that movie is very underrated when it comes to animated. I think for me anyways, the title was very off-putting. I was like, this is a dumb title. And one of my friends said the same thing. Like he never watched it because of the title, yeah. <laughs> but it, it it's honestly like the emotions that you go through in that it's like, it's almost in a toy story level of, it's got a lot of things going as far as the action and the um, the family relationships, but also like having your first uh, pet or your mm-hmm. you know your only friend um, that he has. Um, yeah, that's a great pick. Yeah, and it's also a great movie about kind of like learning responsibility and just kind of like yeah. how he he you know he's got now he's the, he's the you know this new celebrity and he's how does he handle that and he's still got to hide his dragon and he wants to like live up to his dad's expectations, but then he realizes he doesn't have to and just has. And then he, at the end, he sacrifices his arm. Like he loses his leg at the end of the movie. Like it does show you that like, you know, sometimes you yeah. like, not everything works out. You have to like pay for these things. And it's so perfect <laughs> because Hiccup loses his leg and like, uh, and uh toothless lost his wing at, or part of his wing at the beginning. It's like they mirror each other like that. It's, it's really a beautiful film. Yeah. Like what kids movie shows, physical sacrifice and that's yeah it was so stunning and shocking at the same at the same time to like and so poetic too because yeah they they mirror each other mm-hmm. with their um i guess disabilities that they they get at the end yeah yeah i i saw two recently and i was i was pretty happy with it and i uh i have yet to see number three i think it's yeah three there it's a perfect trilogy as far as i'm concerned like you know it's very i think three does what's really hard to do and ends a trilogy on really good terms. Like I was completely satisfied at the end. I think, you know, like all of these movies got me very emotional. Um, I haven't gone back to three. I since think since I saw it in theaters, but yeah, I, I love three just as much as I love one and two, which is saying something. Good. I'm looking forward to it. Are you enjoying this podcast? If so, do me a favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts. If you're there already, just go back once to the main screen of this podcast and then scroll down to the bottom. You'll see the the five stars where you can go ahead and leave your review. And that would be fantastic. It would help me spread the show to more movie lovers like you. All right, back to the show. Just kidding. I'm going to wait till you actually go and do it. Okay, great. Cool. Thanks. What's a movie that you will remember forever because of the experience that you saw it under was so unique? The coolest theatrical and most unique theatrical experience I had was there's a local theater near me um, called the Frida, and they do a lot of cool movie showings. And one of the ones they did was it was a Lord of the Rings marathon extended edition back to back to back. Whoa. Yeah, that was so cool. And I thought I was going to like, be kind of dying at the end of it but it, i just was running on adrenaline and it was cool because like between one and two they give you a half hour for lunch they give you a half hour for lunch and between three or two and three um they give you uh, 50 minutes for dinner so you got to come gut out stretch your legs they're, it's right in the middle of just kind of like a place where there's like a really good food court nearby and just kind of some good local food um so get i did with a couple friends and just that crowd 
was so excited. Like, you know, everybody knew the movie by heart. So like people were cheering and just shouting. And there was a bunch of people dressed up as hobbits and stuff. Like, I remember the part when they were like, they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. I literally just got up and started, I stood up and just clapped in the middle of the theater and everybody was just <laughs> cheering. It was so much fun. Um, you know, those are some of my favorite films of all. We were just talking about how great the, you know, How to Train Your Dragon trilogy is. I think this is one of the very few trilogies that's even better than that because from front to back, Lord of the Rings movies are just perfect. And that was just a great day. It started at noon. And by the time the last one got out, it was, I think, close to like 10 o'clock at night or something. So it was just a whole day, but it was just so much fun. Um, You know, we went to like there was a rooftop bar nearby that we went and grabbed drinks for between the second and the third. So it was just the, the people there. Like, that's one of my favorite things about seeing movies and theaters and why I've been glad to go back um, is because it is that shared theatrical experience that you just can't get at home and seeing cinema in a theater with these other fans who are also just so invested, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes you might get a bad crowd, you know, like how you got a bad crowd with the quiet place, but with it being in this circumstance, there was no way I was going to get a bad crowd. It was like, these were the, these were diehards. It sold out. Everyone was so into it. It was just, yeah, a blast. That's the magic of movies right there is when you're with a group of people who are just diehards through and through and like people are yelling and and cheering, but you're like, usually like that's not okay during a movie for me, but like when it's this type of group, like you're just like, mm-hmm. yes, bring it on. Like everyone's having the same roller coaster of feelings and yeah, yeah. those are pretty special. Yeah, I can't wait to, absolutely. to do more of those. Yeah, yeah. I think the last time I had that kind of feeling was when I I got to see Star Wars. It was for the, uh, it was like a Director's Guild thing. I'm not sure what it was, but it was like, it was non-special edition. It was non-everything. It was like one of the original prints that was non-touched. Um, and it was like specially released by Lucas to let us to let us watch it. It was just like kind of like an original version. That's really and cool. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I think the last yeah. time I had an experience like that was opening night of Endgame because everyone was just so ready. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, I, I don't see myself having another experience like that for a while because that was so much fun. <laughs> Assemble. Yeah, that's <laughs> God. That was such a movie moment. That was amazing. I remember when I saw it with, um, I saw it with my friends alan and ariel who i do the podcast with and after small spoiler for the first five minutes of Endgame, game but after thor cuts off thanos's head at the very beginning alan just goes that was the quickest three hours of my life <laughs> i know that was so unexpected you're like wait what the fuck's going yeah. on or you're like oh like, what and then it's just like end game and you're like oh my god this is gonna be a movie yeah yeah I just went back and and watched um, Infinity and Endgame mm-hmm. uh, like two weeks ago, and god damn, it's so enjoyable. It really There's is so much payoff, and and I mean, fan service I think has like a negative connotation, but it's like there's so much amazing, perfectly placed fan service that uh, it all you know accumulates to. Yeah, no, exactly. It really does feel like it. You know, it pays off to have been a fan of these movies, and it is rewarding. Um, and it's, you know, not necessarily punishing the people who haven't seen these things, but like, no, you do feel like, like, you know, it's like you feel seen almost with the, the fan service uh, stuff that they put in it. Yeah. When I got done watching it, I was, I was trying to like appreciate like how lucky we are to live in the time of the MCU's birth and like just be a part of this massive 
thing that has so many layers to it and so many different movies and now TV shows that it's all just one big storyline that like where else in the world do you get something that that's that big and that intertwined yeah. and well done too. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah, no, it really is. And it's interesting. Cause it's yeah, like cinema's never really done this before. Like, you know, you can go back and like to Arthurian legend or like, you know, the stories of like Troy and stuff like that. And it's kind of a similar thing, but those were told over like hundreds of years by, you know, all these different authors and stuff. And they're doing that replicating that same story tradition now in the medium of film which is a relatively new medium you know like if you think about it um but yeah so it's really cool that they're doing doing this where like you can watch a movie and be like oh that's how this connects to this and that's so cool yeah i'm i'm so thoroughly impressed every time by how they are um connecting these things and all of the easter eggs and just so there's so many you know choices that you have to make when it comes to making a movie or a TV show, and the fact that they are making a decent show or a movie, and then they have all of these side pieces um, for all of us big fans is it just blows my mind every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's like they're on a tightrope and they just knock it out of the park every time. It's they're just, they're always great. Yeah, thank you, Paul Feige. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> all right, Derek, I've got two more questions for you. Okay, cool, cool. What movie would you choose to sum up the good of humanity? If you had to send it out to the aliens and say, this is what represents us good humans, what would you show them? Um, so this is the David Lowry film that I mentioned earlier, which is Pete's Dragon. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's it's so like wholesome and good-hearted and just shows how good people can be and how just like the good of humanity and how people care for each other. It just... It really, even the bad guys in it, the quote unquote bad guys, like Carl Urban plays this kind of logger. They're they're not even bad. They're just kind of misguided in it. They're just kind of like uh-huh. maybe a little greedy, but like they're they don't have any ill intent. And even at the end, when you know they see that something they do might hurt someone, they like try to stop. So it, it it's just a film about wonder and just kind of like being amazed by things. It's just about the beauty of the natural world and just kind of like about these friendships that you can form. And just the good of humanity, just in in general, just, you know, Elliot kind of, you know, he's been out there with his dragon. That's his only friend. And he kind of learns to go back to people. But there's there's not an ounce of cynicism at all anywhere within the film. And it just really just warms my heart so much every time I watch it. Um, like it gets me like the waterworks always come out at the end. Just mm-hmm. I, I, I love that movie. Yeah, it definitely does give you the the warm fuzzies in the end there. It, it's yeah. like a, it's a feel good. Yeah. And is that is that the third dragon movie that's made it into your capsule? Is there other dragons in Oh man in Lord of the Rings? I do, there's dragons in the Hobbit, but there's not in Lord of the Rings. Okay. So, All right. So yeah. <laughs> do you have an affinity for dragons? I mean, dragons are cool. I like dragons. Dra- yeah, yeah. Dra- dragons I mean, are great. Yeah. So I guess yeah. Um, there is a there's a firework dragon in Lord of the Rings actually, if that counts. Oh, that's right. In the in the in the first one, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. Who doesn't love dragons, you know? They are beasts. (laughs) All right, Derek. So let's say the penguins with the rockets are coming and you have time to grab one more movie to put in your capsule to take into your bunker with you that you can rewatch over and over. What's the movie that never gets old? Um, I went back and forth between two movies. Um, I almost picked Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the uh, Black Pearl, because that's an endlessly rewatchable movie. But I it got so fun. It's so good. Um, the sequel is not so much, 
diminishing returns. Some of them are fun, but by the end, they can, and like, and I think the same thing with this one, where the first one is great, and then you kind of have diminishing returns a little bit with the sequels. But it's Jurassic Park. Like, hell yeah, I can just watch Jurassic Park whenever, like anytime, anywhere. I'm always down to watch it because it is another movie that it has so much in it. It is once again just kind of like. You know, you can go and marvel at these amazing dinosaurs, which are at times beautiful and are at times terrifying. Um, the action in it is incredible, like especially for the fact that when we came out in 93, how it looks that good <laughs> is blows my mind. Like it looks better than like I feel like some stuff does now. Um, yeah. The way they just kind of blend the CG and the practical stuff just in so many smart ways. Um, but yeah, it just you really care about all the humans like it's a movie that makes you like ha- it has dinosaurs in it but you still are you're rooting like for them to get away from the raptors you're not rooting for the rap the monsters you're like wow i care <laughs> about these people more than these cool dinosaurs like it made velociraptors a thing you know that like nobody cared about velociraptors before that movie came out but yeah i can <sighs> kind of go back to the well it's got a really it's got some really good morals you know that has that whole scene where you know dr hammond is talking to ellie and they had it's that quiet scene i love those quiet scenes in action movies where it's just kind of like life finds a way and she's like oh it's all it's it's all an illusion you know and it's kind of about like you know kind of the dangers of capitalism once again and just kind of like the way corporate <laughs> greed can kind of corrupt and you know i think a lot of spielberg's movies are kind of you have to how do i put this um it's just kind of like there's people who are in it for the money there's like the donald gennaro's you know the lawyers the blood-sucking lawyer you know and then <laughs> and then you have the people who are just in it for the good of it but he, you know Hammond he just wants to just make this beautiful thing but even he kind of like misses the like he just kind of you know like Malcolm says he's just kind of building it and packaging it and selling it and you know he doesn't really get you know like and that's it's you know it's a cautionary tale that I think is one that can definitely be applied to a lot of stuff and there's all that and then it's also just a really great movie where you get to see dinosaurs eat people and just like run around and fight other dinosaurs that dinosaur fight at the end is who doesn't love that it's got just absolutely an endlessly rewatchable film for me so yeah that's one that was the other one of the three that i've that i've constantly just rewatched throughout my whole life yeah it's such a great film and it's god i'd have to think about this really hard but i it may be for me spielberg's top one or two oh man so that's a tough choice um i recently watched on Netflix, they have the movies that made me, and they have a Jurassic Park episode. Have you seen that? It just came out. I yeah, I actually did watch that, and I learned that the ending scene with the the T Rex and the Velociraptors battling wasn't in the script because mm-hmm. you know they couldn't pay for that. But until they figured out how to do it all in CGI, they're like, oh, we could easily have a cool fight for the very end. Yeah, because Spielberg was realized like you've got to kind of have the T-Rex come back like it because originally yeah. like it was like he killed the Raptors with like bones and like a shotgun and like that wasn't be consistent with the movie you know that's you know they don't really use like anybody who uses a gun against a Raptor and then we just kind of dies and so it does kind of feel like it is just it's kind of like majesty it's kind of like too, they're holy like you know it's like you you know you don't attack these creatures with guns you've got to kind of outsmart them and get away from them and just having the T-Rex come back and be the big hero at the end and just kind of having that last cool dinosaur fight works for so many reasons. Oh God, there's so many great moments. I may have to go watch Jurassic Park tonight because <laughs> just seeing it on, hearing you talk about it and watching the little thing on Netflix, just like, man, there's there's endless moments. It's just back to back to back. Um, 
And that's why Spielberg's the master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's probably my favorite Spielberg, too, which is saying something because I love Spielberg, you know, like it's <laughs> like I have to put that above Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I guess so, you know. I know. God, those they, they both like have the same kind of hit the same marks for me. Like mm-hmm. um, there's no like romance in it. It's all about the action and there's suspense and the adventure of just seeing something that you've never seen before. Oh, man. I don't know if I can choose between those two. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it is very tough. Derek, this is going to be the end of your capsule, but I need you to provide the sound effects of your capsule closing because this is a low budget show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. That was an airtight, strong lock seal. I like it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, Derek, so your, your podcast, Underrated, does it come out every week? Uh, it's every other week. So yeah, every other Monday, yeah, comes out. Awesome. And and what else is on the horizon for you? So yeah, uh, on the horizon, uh, we've got um, we've got some guests coming up. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, 2002 film um, Rules of Attraction, um, which is based mm-hmm. on a Bret Easton Ellis uh, book. We're going to be talking about this 1984 movie called Runaway. Uh, which stars um, Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons as the um, the bad guy. And actually, we're gonna the guest for that episode is gonna be the person who runs the Frida Theater, who I had that great experience with. Um, so those are the ones we've got on the docket. Um, we haven't nailed down anything beyond those two, but um, yeah, those are gonna be our next couple. Very cool. I have one movie suggestion for you, which I don't know if it holds up, but I have watched it many times in my life as a kid, as a teen, as an adult. Um, I showed it to my wife a few years ago. She mm-hmm. did not like it. But um, have you ever seen Disney's Condor Man? No, but I've heard about it. I've heard, like it's one of those movies that's like the lore of it is like almost like bigger than the movie itself. I'll have to check <laughs> it out. I'm always down for suggestions for the show. It's Disney's version of of 1970s James Bond or 1980s. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I would love to hear hear your opinion about it. Um, if it if it does still work for a person who's never seen it before. Okay, I'll have to check it. It's always interesting, like, those movies you have when you're, like, a kid, and you're like, is this good, or do I just have, like, nostalgia around it? Like, I know. <laughs> and I'm going to piss some people off, but, like, when I saw The Goonies for the first time, I'm like, you guys know this is eh, it's not that great. But, like, I, I didn't like The Goonies, because I, I first saw it when I was, like, 28. So and I feel like oh. everybody else who I've talked to saw it when they were kids, and they're like, oh, my God, The Goonies is incredible. And I just missed the boat on it. So it's always interesting to see how those things work out. Yeah, that does happen from time to time with strange movies. Yeah. yeah. Derek, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun hearing your picks. And uh, I'll stay tuned to Underrated. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. If you want a recap of Derek's capsule choices, you can go to lukechaney.com slash mtc. And thank you for listening. I hope this encourages you to check out some new movies or maybe revisit some old ones. Lastly, here is some parting trivia. Name the movie with this ending line. Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. <laughs>